Welcome to Pursuing Justice. I am Harriet Hendel, and today we round out part four of an eight-part series on the impact of prison on children who have a loved one doing time. We've met Amy Friedman, founder of an after-school club, I'm sorry, a lunch lunchtime club for high school students who are dealing with this issue. And we've met John Rodriguez, who was a juvenile offender and is now active on the board of POPs. Today, we have Shaylee Heflin with us. Both of her parents were incarcerated when she was very young. And I'm going to let Shaylee tell us her story. Welcome, Shaylee. Hi, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Well, I'm glad to have you spend time with us today. Take us back to your early years and help us to understand what those experiences must have been like for you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So it started for me at a really, really young age. Uh, Both of my parents were sent to federal prison um, when I was under a year old. So I was blessed in the sense that I was put into the custody of my maternal grandparents um, and not put into the foster system. So I was given a home um, with two parental figures. Um, And within that, they provided me um, an incredible life. Uh, But it was interesting because it created a dichotomy for me almost um, in dealing with my biological parents' incarceration, Um, just in that I didn't really talk about my parents' incarceration at all growing up. Um, I felt that it was surrounded in stigma and shame. And because of the kids that I was surrounded with, I felt like nobody would really be able to empathize or understand what I had gone through. And so it was something that I just never brought up. Um, And in never bringing it up, I think, never really faced it emotionally. And so my close friends knew about what was going on, but didn't actually understand what I was going through internally. But my mom was released when I was four. Um, After that, she was in and out of my life. Um, Just we had had several conversations throughout my life about that. Um, But she didn't really get back on her feet until I was around 12. Um, Mm -hmm. And even then, has even recently had um, run-ins that I just say, I tell the kids at Pops that incarceration um, it is a nev- it's never ending. It's just how you learn to deal with it. Um, and then my dad, he was in jail throughout most of my life in and out uh, for his drug addiction. Um, he struggled with a drug addiction to meth and cocaine, but has since been um, three years sober as of late. And he was released uh, last February of 2019 for the last time. So this is a pretty good stretch that we're going on. <laughs> right, right. So. How, who, who had the difficult job of explaining to you, you're so very, very young. Um, I, I don't even know if you even remember, but how was it explained to you where your parents were? Right. So, um, when it came to visiting my parents, my adopted, my grandparents are technically my adopted parents at this point, but at the time they weren't legally, but they definitely had custody. Um, I would go visit them at quote unquote camp. <laughs> and I, I think see. a lot of that, yeah, a lot of that too, I think was that I, I went to a small private school growing up that was PK three through 12th grade with um, my parents 
putting me in that school for the purpose of having the faculty and staff be aware of my situation, um, which is also really a blessing just in uh, my academics. But um, because of that, I think, too, they they were like, we don't want our kindergartner going back to school and being like, I went to see my mom in prison this weekend. So oh, camp, right, right, right. camp camp sounded a little better. Yeah. 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 Now, did that narrative change as you got older? You know, I it's funny because my adopted parents, I think, did everything that they could to normalize it in the best way, but also address it when they needed to. But it wasn't really something that we talked about. Um, they kind of, I felt like, wanted it to be somewhat under the rug. If I brought it up, I would get bits and pieces, but I, I think still to this day, there are parts of my story that aren't clear to me, um, mm. which I have found just in the population of children of incarcerated parents is uh, unfortunately common. Um, and it's an interesting thing to really not for sure know your own truth. Um, but yeah, with, with my parents, they, they would talk to me about it when, like, I remember when I was 17, um, my dad, my adopted dad, so my biological grandfather sat me down and he was like, I, you know, Shaylee, we need to have a conversation. And I, I just knew it was about this guy that I was dating that he didn't like, mm-hmm. um, when in reality, my, uh, biological mom had been sent back to jail. And so like those kinds of things were conversations, um, that we would have, but when it came to understanding what happened when I was younger, or even understanding what was currently happening to my dad, um, cause I knew that he was gone and I had assumed that he was in jail, but I didn't know he struggled with a drug addiction until high school. Oh. Um, so it's, yeah, it's just, uh, they, they would talk about it, but it was only if it got brought up. And again, I think there's so much shame wrapped in it and you feel like because it's not talked about, it's something you shouldn't talk about. Right. And there's right. almost this like contrast of where like, I felt like if I discussed it, it would make them feel guilty in a way, like they hadn't done enough. Um, and so we really didn't talk about it much, which I wish that, I hope that that narrative changes in the future. Um, but for my own personal story, that's how it was. Mm. I, I think that, I guess you got what we might say a subliminal message. Uh, I think kids, kids pick up um, topics that are verboten. Don't talk mm-hmm. about this. You don't have to actually say, let's not talk about it. But I, I think that uh, the message somehow comes across. And that message came across certainly to you. Now, in lots and lots of years, uh, this took up so much of your life, starting when you were so very small. Um, was there communication between, direct communication between you and either parent, whether it was writing or phone or visits. Right. Um, So with my biological mom, I was blessed in that my biological maternal grandmother, um, she worked for American Airlines. And so we would fly down to visit my biological mom in prison every other weekend. Um, So I did get to visit her then. And because of the federal prison security, she was allowed to have full contact visits with me. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, I advocate for that just because I think that's incredibly crucial to both sides, to both parties. 
Um, with my dad, I think I visited him in jail a handful of, of times, but because I think I was adopted by my maternal grandparents, they were less, I think a little more jaded yeah. um, and protective. Um, and so I didn't visit my dad as much. And even when my mom got out when I was four, it was still one of those things where, you know, mom would say she was coming to Thanksgiving and um, would end up not showing, which later we had talked about. And she had said she was going through her own things of like when being around me, she would almost feel guilty um, Mm -hmm. because of what she had put me through. But I think, you know, throughout the acceptance of, or throughout my life and way later, and I mean, way later, I'm 25, but (laughs) later on in my life, the acceptance of my parents' incarceration has allowed for a space of more open communication um, about what had gone on and allowed for a lot of healing. Um, But my dad, I mean, he was so in and out frequently that it was the occasional Facebook message of, hey, you should write me, um, which really... I, I grew a lot of animosity towards that um, just because I, I didn't feel like it was on me in a sense. Uh, but again, that, I mean, and I think the acceptance of my dad's situation took me a lot longer um, just in that I needed to have a certain level of maturity for myself to understand drug addiction um, and to understand incarceration, not as a choice that someone makes. Mm-hmm. I see. And were your parents in prisons far apart? Uh, this was um, Texas, is that right? Yeah. So I was raised in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, more specifically Arlington. Um, but my biological mom, she was stationed, uh, at, she was in a prison um, in College Station. So from where I was located, that was probably about five hours away. Um, and to be honest, I visited my dad so infrequently. And after the age of four, when they were both released from federal prison, he was so in and out. I actually don't know where he mm-hmm. was oh, incarcerated. Okay. I see. Um, all right. So this brings us to your involvement with Pops the Club, which we've been mm-hmm. talking about, of course, with uh, the founder, Amy Friedman. Um, how, how did that connection happen? Yeah, so um, I had moved out to California at that point. Um, I had graduated from Pepperdine, um, and I was competing in the Miss America organization. Um, and the year that I decided to compete, I had competed before, and I was always – the joke was I was first runner-up girl. Um, and so I had mm-hmm. given up for a little bit and decided to go back uh, for my last year of competing. Um, and a little bit of background on the Miss America organization. It's a nonprofit 510C3, uh, um, and it is focused on, uh, like, a lot of our time as a title holder is focused on service. Um, and so we each have social impact initiatives to which I chose strength and separation to further relationships between incarcerated parents and their children. Um, and at this point in my life, I think, was the first time that I had actually um, accepted it, but also been like, I have worked through it enough now to where I feel like I can verbalize it and talk to others and start to advocate for this population and realizing, um, how invisible this population can be. And so, and taking that platform, I won, uh, the Sierra Nevada 2019. And from there came back to LA and just kind of sat back and was like, I'm going to have to work this platform from the ground up. There are no organizations that do anything with children of incarcerated parents. Uh, Just being ignorant about it because I had done much research. Um, And then in researching pops was the first thing that came up. 
Um, so I was immediately attracted to uh, Pops and the mission and the things that Pops accomplishes, the community that Pops builds for kids that are affected by mass incarceration. And so I reached out to Amy and Ariel, um, who's a program manager, and wanted to speak at one of the clubs. And they had open arms to me and it opened me up to an incredible community um, of kids that have a a lot of wisdom and I've learned just as much from the kids as, I mean, I hope they've learned something from me, (laughs) but uh, Pops is, yeah, Pops is incredible. What they do is incredible. And if you, when you were much younger, um, well say high school, um, do you think that if there had been a Pops, what, what advantage might it have been for you if it had been there in your high school? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, and it, especially in high school, cause I think like I had mentioned earlier, my mom went back to jail when I was 17 and she was on the phone when she told me about it, she blatantly lied first and I knew she was lying. And I think in, in high school, things just hit a little differently because you can understand them. Like they're directed more towards you. They're, they're not, they weren't screened by my adopted parents, if you will. Um, and I had first gone to counseling um, for dealing with my parents' incarceration when I was in high school, but totally blew it off. Like I was just completely um, shut off to talking about it, completely shut off to feeling anything about it. Um, but it, I think the foundation of that was I felt like there was no one that would understand um, because there was no one else that had gone through something similar. And so to me, I think having a foundation of pops where you can walk into a room and you don't even, it's a safe space. You don't have to say why you're there, but because of what the club is, you know that you're in a safe space and you know that people have gone through similar things as to what you've gone through. Even just having that option, whether you talk about it or not, I think provides room for incredible growth and acknowledging what happened to you and accepting the fact that it wasn't your fault. Um, and then being able to walk through all of the, like all the things that come with it with other people. Yeah. I think that it really having a community like that, I know, I don't want to say would have sped up my growth in it. Cause I feel like I took the journey that I was meant to take, but I definitely think that having a community and having someone else that would have understood, even if it had been one person, um, would have drastically changed my perspective and probably bettered the relationship with um, not just my parents, but peers and yeah. um, what else like. I think, you know, as you speak, um, it occurs to me that you never had um, anyone else as almost like a mirror who had been through what you were dealing with. So I, I, what, what do you think the impact of that was that you, you were kind of all alone in feeling that you were unique, uh, in having an experience like this with both parents, um, who yeah. were in prison and, and no one matched your story. So what, what do you think the impact of that m- might have been, or maybe still is? Yeah. You know, what I what I think that I hope as an adult changes 
about this conversation is that the kid who has children or that is a child of incarcerated parents realizes that there are probably others around because of how abundant the population is, but nobody talks about it. And I think that's where it really comes down to like, there were probably kids in my school that I mean, and I, every person's interaction and story with incarceration was slightly different. Um, But there were probably kids that had gone through something of the sorts that I could have talked to, but because no one talked about it, including myself, um, it put me in a place where I felt extremely isolated. Um, I struggled to maintain healthy relationships. I definitely was the girl that would go to school with a smile on her face and have a breakdown probably at least monthly um, about what was going on behind the scenes. Um, And I never really felt with my biological parents, like I wasn't around my dad much, obviously, but even when I would visit my mom, like not when she was in prison, but just, you know, on the outside Mm -hmm. and quote unquote normal life, um, there still seemed to be some kind of disconnect on my side, just because I feel like I wouldn't talk about it. And I was the only one going through it. So I felt, I feel like that led to a lot of isolation Mm -hmm. and a lot of, um, mental repercussions that came out later, but at the time uh, I repressed. Yeah, I would think so. Now, um, where are you right now in your life um, in, in terms of your goals or, you know, what you see yourself doing maybe a year from now, two years from now? Tell us where yeah. you are. Yeah. So I, um, after I took on the platform with Miss Sierra Nevada, um, I definitely felt called to the work. I felt like as a child of incarcerated parents, it's part of my social responsibility to respond to this issue and to make change within this issue. Um, and so kind of rerouted my original plan and, um, applied to USC. So I'm currently at USC doing my master's in nonprofit leadership and management alongside my master's of science in criminal justice. Um, just to further my knowledge in those areas. And I'm hoping when I graduate with my master's to work somewhere in the criminal justice realm, whether it be with children of incarcerated parents, I would love to help assist in a program that normalizes visitation in jails and prisons to help lessen the trauma that children Mm -hmm. of incarcerated parents go through, even just in visiting their parents. Or I would love to work in, uh, I've thought about law school in the future, um, just in the public defender side of life. Um, I just have a big passion for reunification and having families reenter society and and watch them be successful and the amount of people that are wrongfully convicted in our criminal justice system, um, along with a lot of other things in our criminal justice system, um, can seem absurd and needs a lot of healing and needs a lot of love and grace. And so I would love to go into that system in either capacity um, to just really with a heart of service and, and hope for change. Oh, it sounds wonderful. Do you think, Shaley, if you had not had the childhood you did have, that you would have this interest in the criminal justice system at all? I, I, I really don't know. I really think that my person, the way I was personally impacted has definitely been my driver. Mm. Um, just because I don't know if I would have been as aware. I mean, 
even in small things, like I competed for Miss California in June of 2019, and my biological mom was supposed to come to Miss California. And I found out 20 minutes before I went on stage for the finals that she had been put back in jail. And the reason she was put back in jail was because her um, parole officer, she had gotten a verbal okay, but not a written okay, that she could go out of state. And so then she was taken back and put into jail. And it's things like those that I think because of my personal experience and my personal interaction with them, I see the injustice. Yeah. And and I know that I experience it on this scale, but there are people that are experiencing it on a much larger scale as well. Um, and so all to say, I think my personal experience and as it continues on in my life is something that definitely drives me. Um, but I would hope that people without the personal experience, whether they know someone that has gone through something or uh, are just educated on it in general, would um, have that passion to change it and seeing the areas that just need reform. But I think because you bring so much to it, because you've lived it, uh, I think it, it's so different. You've experienced mm-hmm going to a prison to visit your parents and it's just uh that that is an experience that uh doesn't match anything else um i i i visit a number of people in prison uh particularly a women's prison and i see what happens when these very little toddlers come running through that door Mm -hmm into their mom's arms and you know it, it always tugs at my heart it always makes me very very sad so mm-hmm. uh, and especially when we all have to leave when visiting hours are over so I'm sure those are things that you remember and you bring those experiences to whatever you plan to do with uh, with your life uh, and your education now we only have a very few minutes left. You you had mentioned to me that you visited Angola prison. Mm. Um, did you want to say something about that visit and the impact it had on you? Yeah, before I went to Angola, I was working at a church that partners with an organization that is called Lifeline Global. They do a returning heart celebration every year, where the kids get a full hour, um, full eight hour visitation, full contact with their dads. Mm. Um, at like a, it's kind of like a carnival. Um, and I had been asked to go to Angola and I gave a hard no. <laughs> because at that point I hadn't really accepted where I was at um, or what had happened to me, but I uh, finally got convinced to go. So I went kicking and screaming kind of, you know, what am I going to learn from this? Um, and just watched these men in prison um, and learned from them and saw their wisdom and saw their love and saw their joy. And I just was so incredibly proud of everything that they had accomplished. And I sat back and was like, I don't view my dad the way I view these men. Mm. Um, And I didn't know these men. (laughs) They weren't personally, you know, I had never met them before, but in meeting them, it really shifted my perspective on my dad. And that's kind of where, him and I were able to uh, re-begin, I guess, restart um, our relationship because I think it's easy to, and I, I fully believe that I fell into the part of the population. Granted, I had my own personal things that I was jaded towards, but um, where I just ignored the prison existed because everybody in prison is a threat, quote unquote, a threat to public safety, um, which once you go into prison, <laughs> you realize is one, completely untrue, and two, that a lot of 
people inside are better than the people on the outside um, in the way that they view things and um, just in their spirits. I, it, it's incredible. It's incredible. I try to encourage all my friends. I'm like, just go to prison once. Yeah, <laughs> you that's right. All you, all you need is one visit. That's true. Yeah, you, get you just perspective need to be that change. one person. Exactly. And so, yeah, I, I think that Angola really provided that, um, really provided that for me and really allowed me to take what I had gone through and see that, Oh, I, there's power in my story and I can share it and I can be in places like this um, because places like this are safe and full of really incredible people. But Angola was definitely a game changer for me. Mm, That's wonderful. Well, certainly uh, wish you the very, very best on your journey and uh, some of the things that you hope to be able to do sound wonderful. Um, And, I thank you so much for spending time with us and for telling us your your very personal story uh, in a very open and honest way. So I want to tell our listeners to join us next time where our guests will be the students from POPs and hopefully some other uh, nonprofit organizations which also support young people with an incarcerated parent. So thank you so much for listening. As always, if you have any thoughts or comments, please uh, send them to me at um, pursuing.justice5 at gmail.com. Please stay safe and stay well, and we will see you next time on Pursuing Justice.